0: Wow, I am not going to sing the sermon today <laughs> little glory in the front row um, uh, so um, praise God today's the seventh and um, you know I like to visit. Proverbs. We're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs today as we start a new series, but let's uh, pick one that's equivalent to today's date on the calendar. I picked verse 4 out of chapter 7. Today's the 7th, chapter 7, verse 4. Treat wisdom as a sister and make understanding your closest friend. That's a great scripture. I mean, if I take it literally, there was times where I would that would mean I would have to fight with wisdom because I would fight with my sister, but that's not what the point is. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're going to start a, um, a new series today, and uh, we'll, we're, we're going to start off with the words of Jesus, which are read in my Bible, and that'll be in Matthew 7. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, but I want to pray as we get started here. Lord, um, as we open your, your word um, and we seek the truth of your word, Lord, I pray that we'll find application that we need in the places that we need this the most, in our homes and and with our families and with those that we love. Lord, speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I stuck it on the wall, but it's good for you to bring your Bible and to become familiar with it because um, not everywhere in life will a scripture come up in front of you, right? So it's good for you to have your own Bible and that you've you've looked at it. But in my my, uh, version, these words are printed in red, which traditionally would mean these are things that Jesus literally spoke. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So, what's the wise man do? Um, and uh, he will be like the man who built his house on the rock. And wait a second, I want to stop stop for a second because there's a trick question. The pastors love to ask trick questions. What's the rock? We haven't read the whole scripture yet. And be careful before you shout out loud, oh, it's Jesus. There's, there are scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as the rock, but this isn't one of them. Okay, we'll read on a little bit and see if we can figure out what the rock is here. I'm not saying Jesus is not the rock, but this is not one of those ones that he's being declared the rock. Okay, um, the rock is hearing, okay, and so everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's the rock right there. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rock is hearing these words of mine and doing them. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and, the, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What's the rock again? Hearing the word of God and doing those things. Okay. Um, To contrast, uh, we see the contrast here, uh, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, there's, there's the key difference. It's not just whether you hear the word of God or don't hear the word of God. It's whether you hear the God and do them or do not do them. He says, it's, we think, you know, okay. I think we have a tendency sometimes to say, oh, you know, that foolish person over there, his family's dissolving. It's because he never goes to church. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Yeah, this guy goes to church. In fact, he might be in church every week. He hears the word of God, but he doesn't seem to do them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was its fall. Great was the fall of it. There are two kinds of people in this room today. <laughs> How do you like that? I boil you down into two groups without knowing you or, you know, I mean, just, but, but that's what Jesus is doing. The world would divide us in lots of different ways. There's lots of different kinds of divisions. You know, the world might divide us based on our education or um, your employment or your economics or your social group or racially. There's a, lots of ways that the world just has a tendency to label and divide. Jesus sums it down into two, and that's Jesus doing it. He says, the wise... And the foolish, the wise people are the ones who hear God's word and do what it says. And the foolish people are people who hear the word of God, but they don't do what it says. They just say, oh, that's really nice. That was inspiring. I, I love what that did. But they walk away and they don't do anything with it. They, you know, they may have been actually sitting in a church service for days or weeks or months or years hearing the word of God, but they don't do it. And, and, and Jesus is basically saying, that's the apex. That's the foolishness, height, height of foolishness. And we're building a. Uh, we're we're starting a new series today that I want to call "Build a Successful Family." And I've been thinking about this series since since February. And I, I would suggest to you, based on this model that Jesus gives us, that there are two coin, two kinds of choices that we make. There are wise choices and foolish choices that we make. Wise choices lead to blessing and joy and peace and happiness in heaven and foolish choices lead to consequences and misery and judgment and a lifetime of unregulated unwise choices can eventually even lead to hell. I I think that there's probably at least one family here today that they make primarily wise choices. Now there are no perfect families right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have a perfect family go ahead and do that right now (laughs) your, your family's not perfect Yeah, I suppose I heard a couple of people say, well, the reason is because you're in it, you know, right? (laughs) And there are families that make primarily and increasingly wise choices most of the time. You know, not all the time. They make wise, they make better choices. They make biblical choices. That's the wise family. And then there's the foolish family where, you know, not all the time, but mostly, in fact, too often, and maybe even increasingly, they make foolish choices. The goal of our series, of this series that we're launching today, is to make wiser choices more of the time. That's our goal. My goal that I hope, and I'm wiser choices in our marriage, wiser choices about our children, about our finances, about our attitudes, about our priorities. And uh, today we'll see that God's word not only tells us what to do, it tells us how to go about doing that. So I want to one more time, now that we've laid some groundwork, I want to pray again. God, we acknowledge who you are, that you are sovereign, you're supreme, that wisdom is found in you, Lord, and it's only found in you. Because we're just not smart enough, not quite smart enough to figure out everything that we need to figure out. I mean, we don't have in ourselves what it is that we need to get through the things that we face in life. Life can be a maze of hidden landmines and surprises and, and um, you know, we just, we just know, Lord, I pray that we would trust your word and and we know, Lord, that you have promises in and we trust that those promises are going to be what they'll say. You, you promised to be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. God, I pray that that'll happen for us, that we might make better and wiser choices. And God, I also ask you to protect us from the folly and thinking that that the solution comes in just hearing your word. That if we just sit and read and listen and hear and are taught, that wisdom will come. But no, your word says that wisdom comes in hearing and in doing. So I pray, Lord, for what would be resonant in us is not only the wisdom, but also the desire not just to hear your word, but to do what it says in our homes with around people that we love the most in Jesus' name. Now, one thing I've I've encountered, you know, in my time in life, is that before you, it, it's any worth to you to find the solution? You got to first understand what the problem is, right? Got to understand a little bit about the problem. I mean, that that concept is central to understanding the gospel, um, as an example. I mean, until you recognize that you are a sinner, where where you deserve God's judgment, the the atonement of Christ, the sacrificial death that He paid on the cross for you and me, it, it's, it's, it's meaningless to you. People who do not see themselves as sinners look at, the, at the, the price that Jesus paid and they go, wow, what a waste. They don't see the worth in it. And uh, that's where they go because people want to say, well, okay, I think if there's a heaven, I want to be there. And their concept of heaven is when you get there, there's not going to be any problems. Everything's going to be really cool. And that's true. There's a lot of really promising things in the scripture that says about heaven. Um, And the reason that it's true is because the creator of the universe gets to set the standards. He's the one that says, heaven will be like this, and our God is holy. God is holy. God says, here is what heaven will be like. And uh, if people set the standards, heaven would be like the earth, right? (laughs) It would have war and disease and thieves breaking in and stealing your identity and you can't, you know, you got to have password protection program. I mean, all that kind of stuff is what heaven would be like, but it's not because God sets the standards. Yet we want to set our own standards for how to get there. The thing is the creator of the universe says, okay, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create this place. If you want to set the standards for heaven, this is going to sound so snarky. Then what you need to do is go ahead and create your own universe and you can set the standards for, for heaven. Oh, that's so snarky, man. But I mean, that's what people think. They think that because of their own force of will. Because they think so, well, then that's going to somehow corner God and going, okay, okay, here's you can come into heaven by your own path, but 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 you can't. You've got to be holy all the time, every day, without fail. It's an awfully high standard, and I, I don't know of anybody, even my wonderful wife, who's awfully close, but I've seen some mistakes. Not as big as the one I just made, but I told you you couldn't sleep during the sermon. You stay awake or else. So God sets the standard of holiness that we just cannot meet. And you look at the Old Testament, and if you want to boil it down to the Ten Commandments, okay. You can't keep them. God knows you can't keep them, then what's the point? Why do you set these standards that we can't keep? I, I believe it's so that we can learn the truth that we don't have it in us to keep them. And, and so, is it just mean to make a heaven that we can't qualify for? No, it doesn't make sense. And God wouldn't do something to waste his time in yours and mine. And the thing is, he loves you. He wants you there. God wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you in heaven, and he knows you can't do it. And so what he does is he comes up with the most loving solution, and a solution that costs you nothing and him everything. He decides to send his own son. You know, I got misty-eyed thinking about this son of a friend coming out of the war zone and I've done that several times now. I've never sent my own sons. But these are boys that, you know, I packed them in my car when they were this tall. And we went to McDonald's up in Lakewood because it's closest to the end of the runway. And you can go across the freeway. There's a road there that it used to be you could get out of your car there and stand there. And fighter jets would fly 100 feet as they were coming into land while you had your french fries and your McDonald's thing, which is, you know, a cool thing to do with little boys. But they'd grow up and then they go to the war zone. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for those that he loves, and that's God saying that. And God says, "I love Terry, who sometimes is a fool, <laughs> and always can't be perfect. I, I, I got to have him here with me. I got to have. I got to have that boy Terry in heaven with me. I love him. I, he's not going to make it, Jesus. I, I love. I love him. Can you, can you cover this? And off Jesus goes. Yeah." I got this one, Father. And so when my time comes and I stand before this, this throne and God says, it's holy in here. Are you holy? And, and, and just before the list comes out, this is all this stuff of my failures. Jesus jumps in. He says, hold it, hold it, Father. Hold it, Dad. I got this, Terry. Come on. He's with me. When you see Terry, you look at me. That's Jesus talking to the Father. Until you see that you're a sinner and that you have need, you'll never understand the majesty of the cross. And with any problem, with any problem. So it's important for us to see the problem before we can see the solution. I want to say to you right now, if that little few minutes of, of me paraphrasing the gospel Has spoken to you, and you don't know that you know that you know. If you don't have it down in your soul that you know you're okay with God, you need to make a decision because scripture says all who call on Jesus, all who call on Christ, will be saved. It also says there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And the way that you do that is you acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I'm not going to make it on my own. I'm so grateful that Jesus paid the price. I receive that gift. You're my Lord. That's it. It's a decision you make to receive something that you can't do on your own anyway and I encourage you to do that and I could stop the service right now and firmly say it and pray um, and I, I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do that. I'm going to keep going but before you leave this room today you need to make that decision and then you need to say to somebody hey I, I, I just opened my heart to the Lord. I don't know what that means. I'm not joining your church. I just want to join relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth and let God take it from there. Okay so I'm going to keep going here. Not that that's not important, but that I believe that that's how the Lord told me to present that issue today. Now, someone else might come to you and say, if you want to open your heart to the Lord look up here, I'm going to pray with you. Then do it. Okay? All right. So you've got to see the problem before the solution makes any sense. So today we're going to talk about the foolish family. I'm not calling you fools. That's not me. That's just, it just might, whatever. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk about five characteristics of the foolish family. And um, I, I think... I think oftentimes we think of foolishness as immaturity, like like a child, you know, maybe would play with matches, you know, and you know, and we would look at that and go, "How foolish was that?" You know, and and it really was just immaturity. It was really just immaturity. I didn't, I didn't know any better. <laughs> you know, child didn't know any better. And that's, that's not the foolishness that we're talking about in the context of what the, what the, what the Bible is speaking about. Foolishness, foolishness is not a lack of maturity. It's not a lack of life experience. Biblically speaking, we're going to give a definition of wisdom is the ability to choose the best, most God-honoring course of action in any situation. That's what wisdom is. It means both the understanding and the desire to choose the best, most God-honoring course of action in any situation. You know, do you, you have a lot of choices that you make in life? I mean, you do, right? We all do. Everybody has choices. And every one of those moments is a situation presented. It's an opportunity presenting itself. And, and wisdom is the capacity not only to know the right thing to do, but the desire to choose it. To see it and act upon it, that's wisdom. Then what's foolishness? Foolishness is, we're going to call that the stubborn refusal to do what wisdom dictates. (laughs) You know, it's the person, it's the stubborn person who believes their way is better than God's. It's it's a person who's not open to, to correction or reproof. Now, in the book of Proverbs, or actually in the whole Bible, the terms foolish, fool, folly—they show up, you know, over a couple hundred times, and you don't care about that. But people like me care about that. We—how many times does this word? I mean, funny things. Two thirds of the times that those words show up, They're they show up in in what pastors call the poetic scriptures. Sometimes they're called the wisdom books: um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And um, um, and so so there we go. We're going into Proverbs. We go today and. Um, Proverbs, which was written mostly by King Solomon, whose scripture says is the wisest person who ever lived. So we'll see what he has to say. Five characteristics of the foolish family. First one, careless feet. Proverbs fourteen sixteen. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Wise person sees evil coming and they turn away from it, but the foolish person is careless and careless. And reckless it 's the one who never fears where he 's going until after he falls in. you know he, no thoughts of what 's going to happen to me or how will I put these pieces back together once it blows up? They just don 't think those things. they instead they head over the cliff and they crash. Lord, bless that little one. <laughs> that sounded bad <laughs> Bless them in there. That was it. <laughs> OK, answered prayer. <laughs> then uh, you know a- after they go over and after they crash then they start thinking oh, what just happened can i fix this that's foolishness there are in the book of proverbs when you see the word fool there are 3 different words that are translated into the english word fool in the book of proverbs and this this one is the first one that we're going to see it gets used 19 times and literally it means a long standing fool this is the person who never ever learns they just kind of seem to go about the same thing over and over and over and over. You know, no, no, the, the people, people that know them say, you know, how many times are we going to have to talk about this? I mean, how many times do we have to grind the same, plow the same field, the same things? And that's, that's, that's foolishness. That's building your family on sand. It's hearing the word but not doing what it says. Now, keep in mind that we are not born wise. Okay, it doesn't come pre-wired. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's something they have to learn. It's, you know, they don't realize how foolish they are. They just don't know this. And that's the job of parenting, teaching our children wisdom. You know, teaching them to protect them from the consequences of their own foolishness until they build and develop wisdom on their own. And personal experience says, you know, it, It gets harder the longer you wait to do that. It it can get harder. I mean, (laughs) you know, part of their foolishness is that they don't know that they're being foolish. That's parenting. Careless feet, not thinking about the consequences of your actions. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet. You know, think about where this road is taking you. If, If you take three more steps... Or continue three more days or three more weeks or three months. Will you like where you are? The foolish family never thinks about things like that. The wise family is always thinking, where is this going to take me? Should I keep dating this guy? Am I going to like where I'll be? You know, Should I keep going or should I get out while I can? The foolish don't think about that kind of stuff, but the wise do. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Let every choice you make Every place you go, every relationship you nourish and develop, be an intentional pursuit of wisdom. You know, what's what's going to be best for you and best for those that you love? That's what wisdom is. Careless feet. Second thing, foolish family has quick fists. Always in a fight, there's strife at hand. It's, you know, they love to fight. Do you remember, <laughs> it doesn't happen so much anymore, but as I grew up, there were fights on the playground, you know. Anybody remember there'd be fights anybody ever actually in fights on the playground? I was in some fights on the playground a couple of times, and um, you know something starts happening, it builds up, and then there 's this thing going on it wasn 't bad, but it was whatever it was and then somebody else goes, "Fight and then you know right now that doesn 't happen anymore because policies in schools have really clamped down on that, and um, you know that but we just, don't, we just don't get those things where, I mean, I remember having these little chats in the hallway. I'll see you today after school behind the gym. Okay. And, and um, <laughs> but some, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have many playground fights anymore. And um, as adults, we become a little more sophisticated anyway. But in some ways, the fights that we endure in our homes cause more pain. It's this relationship, relationship strife in our homes. Proverbs eighteen six: A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> <laughs> Relational strife. You know, ask yourself, how hard is it to get you going? You know, what does it take? Some people, all you have to do is just ignore them for a while. You know, if you just ignore them, they'll. They, the, the, okay, that gets them going. They will find you and whatever. Other people, it takes a little bit more. You have to insult them. You have to injure their pride or their dignity or something. And, and then once you've done that, here we go. And then to fix it, you got to sit down and babysit and you've got to unpack everything that was said and unravel it all and eventually you can fix it. Uh, some people, you know, a little harder to get into strife. You, have, you can't just ignore them or insult them. You've got to actually physically or in some other way injure them And strife enters the home, and I, you know, I don't have it in my notes, but I'm going to skip it because I'm going to tell you about, you know, (laughs) Lisa and I were on vacation recently, and we got into something, and um, I don't even remember what what it was we got discussing, but um, I, I remember there was a certain point where Lisa said to me, "Where did this come from?" I don't even remember. I just know that my motor was going to be, what launched this Saturn V missile? I don't know. Now, I might be in trouble for not remembering the issue, but, um, but I just remember the fact that she said, you know, what got this started? I don't remember, but it was too short of a fuse. That's for certain. And strife comes into our homes. But there's this model that Jesus Christ provides. First Peter he says he was reviled, but he did not revile. Isaiah makes this wonderful prophecy. As a sheep keeps silent before the shearers, he opened not his mouth. Proverbs 20. Well, silence in the face of op- opposition. I mean, silence in those moments. There's something about that, and Jesus models that for us. Proverbs 23. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. Notice that says aloof from strife, not from people. But from strife, you know, what's aloofness? If you're passing by aloofness, you know, aloofness. In my mind, there's this picture. You know, there's aloofness. This this pulpit is aloofness. <laughs> I don't see you or I rec- recognize you. I mean, it's <laughs> silly. Um, you know, notice that it says it's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. An honor. The next time something blows up in your kitchen, hmm. I'm cool. The next time your 13-year-old says something that makes you want to go crazy. (laughs) I'm cool. I'm the Fonz. (laughs) God's word says, it's an honor to keep. (laughs) I know you're saying you're not Fonzie. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. An honor to keep aloof from strife. The thing is that there's something in this is I'm just not letting that go. You know, instead of saying, okay, self, deal with this at some later time. Instead of saying, you know, no, I'm not going to get baited into doing that. I'm not going to get drawn into this. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. It's a characteristic of a foolish family, quick fists, you know. And then we ask ourselves, why do the harshest words that come out of my mouth come out around the people that I love the most? So here are a few things that fuel fighting in our houses, in our homes. Number one, misunderstanding. We think we know our loved ones so well that we can finish their thoughts for them. We already know what they're gonna say to us. We jump right in there with our conclusion. We start talking right away and it's a misunderstanding. Second way is, um, I would just call this being overdone. You know, we've been in the heat of the fray. Somehow we've been going and the tenderness has been cooked right out of us. There's no longer any tenderness left. And we're tired and we're overly sensitive and overspent, you know, and, and the, the, the phrases come out like, I, we don't say this, but I just spent... All of my best energy somewhere else taking care of business, and when I come home to my family, I don't have anything left for them. I'm overdone. Brings strife into the home. Number three, less deposits than withdrawals. Try that at your bank, okay? They will not let you cash checks that you don't have the currency to cover. And there is a relational equivalency there. You know, you have to make deposits equivalent to the withdrawals that you, that you look for. You can't just take, 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 and always expect your wife to have some sort of reserves there to, to give to you. The only bank that has infinite reserves is God. It's the only bank that works like that. Everybody else has to make deposits at least equal to their withdrawals. You got to balance your books of relationship. If you are a person that only takes, takes, takes all the time and never makes deposits, strife is coming towards you. It can be that way. Number fourth one is, is I would say my viewpoint, not Terry's viewpoint, but you know, my viewpoint. Holding to my viewpoint like it's the only correct viewpoint. And here I'll kind of help you understand what I'm talking about. How many of you would consider yourself organized? I'm an organized person. So don't be afraid. This is not a trick. Okay, organized people, like if I was to go and check your closet right now, your shoes would all be lined up, right? They'd be in the right place. And my closet is actually fairly organized because I spent a little time out early this morning. I don't know why, but I was doing something. And I'm this guy. Okay, Lisa would say, "I'm." you be quiet. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> so, so, so if you were to look in my sock drawer, now I don't like to grab the two socks and fold it over and have that big ball. My favorite socks, they're lined up in a stack. And when it's time for new socks, and I I only wear socks if I have to. I wore them on because I think you'd be disappointed if your pastor didn't have socks, but I'd really rather be wearing shorts and sandals, okay? But I have socks. And when it's time for socks, you peel the top two off. (laughs) Okay, I want to be reasonable, so I stop short of ironing them, okay? I do do not iron my socks. Now, if you're organized, what do you call a person who's not organized? Okay, okay. See, I knew you'd say that. There was the trick. That was the trick question. You don't get to call them disorganized. Because that person that you would consider disorganized, they're very likely someone who is very supportive of other people. They've got their own gifts. And while you're in your closet lining up your socks, they're on the phone with someone who's having a meltdown and they're caring for somebody who's brokenhearted. My viewpoint... My viewpoint, clinging to my viewpoint, you're disorganized, brings strife into the home. Instead of clinging to that and and expecting and requiring, you need to live up to my strengths, (laughs) instead of doing that, how about instead I celebrate her strengths? It's a big list. And that drives the strife away. Quick fists, characteristic of a foolish family. Careless feet, quick fists, third one, loose lips. Now, I know that that one's going to immediately take a certain generation to loose lips sink ships, right? And that's a, that's a great model, and it's kind of similar. Um, the book of Proverbs is going to get us kind of similar, but a little bit different. It's, if you look through the, the book of Proverbs, and you see, you see what foolish people do, probably the most common characteristic of a foolish person is things that they say. So the little one we were praying for, blessings on little one and mom, right? <laughs> Didn't mean to embarrass you, but I, I really believe that when I make those comments, it's embarrassing for a mom to have to get up and, you know, the little one's struggling. He'll be fine, but, you know, blessings on them, right? This is a family, and families take care of their little ones. We love them, and it's not an interruption. It's, it's our, it gets our attention because it needs to. Um, so <clears throat> it, the most common thing you'll see, I think, when the Proverbs talks about foolish people what they do it has to do with things that they say foolish things that they say by the way when we talk about foolishness not talking about humor humor is good silly, hilarious, you know. That's not necessarily what foolishness is talking about. They're just not the same thing. And I, you know, I thought, okay, this is the right place for me to insert something because I'm talking about foolishness. Some of you might be angry at me right now, so I'm supposed to put a joke in. That's what they tell you at sermon school. So um, (laughs) I'm not that good at jokes, but the internet's great, so there's lots. I found this list, and it had 15... Good answers to give if, they, if you get caught sleeping at the desk, okay? I'm only going to give you a couple, but, you know, this might be helpful to you. You could try a couple of these. Um, okay, try this phrase. Oh, they told me at the blood bank this might happen. That's a good one. This one strikes a little close to home. Oh, I was testing my keyboard for drool resistance. <laughs> now, my favorite one is this one, though. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh you know Proverbs says laughter are you gonna try that <laughs> no <laughs> it's you know laughter is medicine Proverb said it's. But, but humor and silliness is not foolishness that's not the same thing we're gonna define loose lips a little differently as, as loose lips are words that cause pain to people I guess that's kind of like loose lips sink ships a loose lips cause that's pain but from the standpoint of Proverbs, loose lips are words that cause pain to people. Proverbs 14.3 says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. When I look you know, at my bumps over the years, um, an awful lot of the most painful situations that I've seen happen in my life or in my home or my extended family or in the lives of other people more often than not, it was about something that was said that should have remained unsaid. You know how much heartache could be subtracted from relationships if by just saying nothing, nothing. How often are our lips the enemy? Proverbs ten nineteen: When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. So we've learned that wisdom is not just hearing God's word, but doing what it says. We've learned that whoever restrains his lips is wise. You know, but I want to say something. But, you know, but I've got something that needs to be said. And what I've got to say is the truth, and it's on topic. And I really want to say it. And choosing not to say it is wise. Now, we could call that muzzle wisdom. Okay, muzzle wisdom, you know, dog muzzle. Cats don't get muzzles, don't know why. They should all be muzzled, but talk about digging in. Okay, it gets quiet when I make a cat joke. Okay. <laughs> Bring it on myself. I know, Tom. Tom, you're going to send me an email. That's okay. My email, eric at crossroads4square. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just think about how much more righteous may be your relationship might be if over the next just 30 days, if all you did was muzzle wisdom, (laughs) nothing else, you know, you'd, wow, you know, we've just been really having an amazing time for the last 30 days. What happened? And your answer is, (laughs) 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 when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. There's this really cool quote I ran into, and it's old. Um, Abraham Lincoln has quoted it. You know, it, If someone claims to have invented this recently, like they invented the universe or something, I don't know, they, they didn't. Abe Lincoln said this, and it was another quote, so I don't know, nobody knows who, 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 who started this quote, but it says this, you are the master of your unspoken words. You're the master of your unspoken words, but you become a slave to those that should have remained unsaid. How many times have you said something you wish you hadn't have, and then you got whipped around and you had to deal with and became the slave to what just came out of your mouth? Even a person with no wisdom at all can look like they're wise if they just muzzle up. Here are four things that you should avoid or work on not saying. One, avoid extremes. It's pretty hard to have a dialogue with somebody whose sentences always have the words always or never in them. Two, avoid expletives, you know those plumbing words <laughs> there, are certain, <laughs> there are certain coarse words that really don't have a place in the believer 's life, and um, you know they have a tendency to injure, and I would just say this i I fail on this i 've said plumbing words before, even when i 'm not plumbing and I really believe that God can change that. God can change that in us. He can change it in me. And I encourage you to let him do that in you. Three, avoid spin. Spin. It's when somebody asks you a direct question and you dance all the way around it, but don't answer the question. That, by the way, drives children nuts. Well, go ask your mom. Well, go ask your dad. I mean, there's a game that sometimes that can be played. They play it too. Or, uh, I don't know, we'll think about that with no intention of actually thinking about it. That kind of stuff drives kids crazy. By the way, later in this series, we'll be talking about some parenting. We'll, we'll spend the whole day, we'll spend some time on parenting, and that's coming. Here's the fourth one. Avoid ultimatums. Finalities, you know, because those kinds of things become aggressive threats. They're kind of a form of control manipulation, and, and they have a tendency just to stop the dialogue. There's no more discussion. you know. When you say, this will never happen in our house, it would be your hope. But that kind of bold statement rarely prevents it from happening. In fact, sometimes if it's so bold because it's, it's pride-driven, I, I, I really believe that, <laughs> can't support this scripturally, but I really believe that having children is one of God's inventions to drive pride out of you and me. Because stuff that I thought for sure I knew, my kids hammered out of me. <laughs> they do. And, and, you know, Scripture says that where pride goes, there's going to be a fall that comes. God help us with these things. Careless feet, quick fists, loose lips. Two more, we're almost done. Fourth one is roaming eyes. Now, the, the second word in Proverbs is translated fool is someone who lacks spiritual perception. There's someone who's always looking for something somewhere. They don't know what it is. They just know it's not God. Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of the woman, women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. She sees this work. It's right in front of her and foolishness tears down the things that she's trying to bid. Do you, do you remember your high school English classes? There was this big word they would, you know, personification. It's a, it's a literary tool where you, you give something that's not a human. You, you, you attribute human characteristics or attributes to that. So personification is a literary technique. It's common in the book of Proverbs. In both wisdom and foolish or, or foolishness, um, the book of Proverbs uses those and per- personifies them. And, and Proverbs talks about wisdom like it's a person because wisdom is dictating the person that you are and the person that you're becoming. So in this scripture, foolishness becomes this person. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. What a tragic, tragic picture that is. Here's this woman who's giving her life to build her home, and because of a lack of wisdom applied, she's tearing down everything that she's trying to build up. She, in this case, is a woman. It doesn't mean only women do this, by the way. In fact, I think I watch more men do it than women. Maybe. Could be. Proverbs 17, 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. There's these roaming eyes they're casting everywhere. You know, what might make me happy over there? But the righteous person's eyes are right here, right in front of them. You know, my wife, my family, my job. My finances, my situation—that's wisdom. But foolishness neglects those things. Foolish eyes roam about, looking for something else that maybe is better somewhere. Roaming eyes, roaming eyes are materialistic eyes. You know, always calculating what other people have. How come I don't have a car like that How come I don't have shoes like she has? How come my I fill in the blank my you know purse? Distracted eyes. Roaming eyes are distracted eyes. They're, They're always searching about for the next something. They zigzag their way through life, going from a hobby to a belief structure to some other trend or something. But there's a zigzagging, always trying to roam back and forth. And the thing is this, Jesus wants to be the treasure of your heart. Jesus wants to be the treasure, our greatest affection. And then one other thing about roaming eyes is the word lustful eyes. Men, you have to especially be careful about this. Ladies, know you're checking them out. Ladies, do you know if a man is checking you out? It's okay to nod and ad- admit to this. Guys, you're not fooling them. You're not. They know you're looking at them. So if you're going to look at a woman, look her in the eye and show her the respect that she deserves because she's a daughter of the king. The last, uh, the last thing that, that uh, we have would be, number five, would be plugged ears. And this one's kind of hard. It seems harsh. Proverbs 27, 22 says, crush a fool in a mortar, mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. It's so much stuck to who he is that as you grind him down into finer and finer powder, not giving it up. It's this stubborn deafness of the foolish person that makes them so hard to penetrate, and if you want to pray about this series for you and for your family, I, I want to. I-, I suggest you pray about this more than anything else. God, give us a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit. Unpl- unplug the ears, a teachable spirit. You know, I was, I've been responsible for most of my adult life um, to be. Re- to, to hire people. For years and years, I worked for a big corporation, Pacific Northwest Bell, and then AT&T, and I was in management, and I was, I was in, a, I, I hired people, and I selected people to go into management. And, you know, of course you look for experience, blah, blah, blah. But the character quality that I think may have been the most important, at least from my viewpoint, was whether they were teachable or not. And later I move into ministry. And now for years, I've been making decisions about hiring people at entry-level ministry positions, all the way up to hiring pastors. And I just really believe that a teachable spirit is one of, if not the, but it's right up there, the most important tools in Jesus' hands. A teachable spirit. You know, I really think that it is the height of highest of wisdom when you recognize yourself, I just don't have everything wired I better keep my, my ears and my heart open and I really believe that the more teachable you are the less likely you're going to solidify into a pillar of salt I'm not talking about Lot's wife that happened to her I'm just talking about what as I watch myself in my upper 50s getting more and more opinionated about things getting more and more solid in what I believe. And having standards is really good. Don't don't compromise the word of God. Don't compromise righteousness. But opinions and preferences and philosophies, if you become so cemented to them, you're not teachable anymore. You know you're teachable when, one, you get a lot of input from other people. You're willing to let other people because if people around you don't come to you with stuff, it's because they learned a long time ago that you're not open to it. Welcome it. Let your family, let people around you speak to you. Can a child come up and point out something to you? Hope so. Second way you'll know you're teachable is that you'll see measurable growth and change in your character you know you're just not the same person that you used to be and by the way that's not a merit badge once you've got it you're done if you're the same person you were 15 years ago maybe you made great strides up until 15 years ago but for the last 15 years you haven't been teachable I promise you Jesus isn't done with you he would have called you home there's something there still (laughs) another way you know you're teachable is that you don't feel like you have to have an answer to your critic somebody comes to you and says hey you know, listen, I, I was lovingly talked to by a man in this church a few weeks ago who came to me and he said, you know this example you gave? He broke my heart. And the example I gave, my heart was correct. It was funny and it made the point really well. But an insensitivity blind spot in my soul. I hadn't thought about one particular application of that example and it trampled right over this guy. It took a lot of nerve for him to come to me and say, This hurt. Now please don't all do it at once, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I I want to be teachable. I'm not gonna let every one of you hammer me into your shape that's different and to find that distinction that's, that's being taught too here's another way you know you're teachable you hear different things you're not hearing the same things that you were hearing last year or ten years ago because that stuff's been dealt with and now there's stuff new stuff you just can't be teachable if your ears are plugged so putting this all together we got careless feet, quick fists, loose lips, roaming eyes, and plugged ears. Foolishness. The answer to foolishness is wisdom. Wisdom in raising my children. Wisdom in conflict resolution. Wisdom in finances. Wisdom in protecting my marriage. The good news is this. Scripture promises to every one of us that wisdom is available. It's available to every person. And I'm not going to take the time because we, we've gone late today, but you can make a note, Proverbs 2, verse 6, and James 1, 5, make these promises. It's available to you. But i got a couple that I want to read. Proverbs 24, 3 says, By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. And if you look at your circumstances and say, I'm living already in a mess. See the smoke rising? It's because I burned my life to a ground, to the ground. I, I just want to say to you that it's not too late. There's a wonderful promise in Proverbs 24, 14. Know that wisdom is such to your soul if you find it. It's possible to find it. There it is. There will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. I love that. It's not over. It's not lost. You still have a future and a hope. The answer to foolishness is wisdom. Believe in your heart that the very best things that God wants to give to you come through the capacity to see what's righteous and then to make the most God-honoring choices in any situation let's pray Lord I pray that you would give us the eyes to see ourselves as we really are the way you see us that there wouldn't be little areas of our lives that are compartmentalized and off limits to your tender and loving hands and your hopes for us Lord teach us how to be wise how to avoid tearing down the very thing that we desire to build so that that as we continue on our quest to build strong families, that, Lord, we would choose to place our hearts in in the most teachable of postures. Let our attitudes be that of tender and pleasing God, I pray, in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, um, I don't want you to leave service yet, yet quite yet. what I mean is up here don't don't close the sanctuary doors yet because uh, I think sometimes we have the habit of rushing out.